Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk, Digital Shadows Cyber Threat Intelligence Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Austin. What's up? Hey, how's it going, Ivan? Hello, how's it going? Good to see you again, Charles. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, nice ragtag group of of experts, or at least we like to think we are, uh, going over some interesting highlights of the week, what we've seen in the cyber threat landscape. So let's just get on, I always say this, let's just jump right into it. All right, let's jump right into it. So this year, it's turning out to be the year of the supply chain compromise, it seems like it just, I don't know, it just seems like everything we keep seeing, we keep hearing this, uh, you know, now we're going to talk in this episode about the, the Microsoft Exchange servers vulnerabilities. Well, obviously, SolarWinds started off at the beginning of the year, rounded out the end of last year, and um, like I feel like we're still kind of dealing with the results of that. And just in time, we have this new vulnerability, which is as impactful, if not more, what we thought was SolarWinds was like the turn of the times, like. Just a few months later, now we're kind of in a similar type of scenario where it's all hands on deck and uh, kind of in this crisis mode. Um, but yeah, so let's just go on and kind of start there. Austin, can you talk me through what kind of happened with Hafnium and this service, the Microsoft Service Exchange vulnerability? Yeah, so the Microsoft Exchange server systems, uh, they were hacked by Hafnium, their Chinese advanced persistent threat group. And they actually gained access by exploiting four different vulnerabilities in the Microsoft Exchange software. The interesting thing about the flaws is they were, they were identified back in January by a firm out of Virginia called Velexity, but they weren't disclosed in Microsoft until February. Fast forward until March 2nd uh, is when they, the patches for these vulnerabilities were actually published. Uh, but so that the operation was likely information gathering based on what this group has done historically. And the number of victims right now is estimated to be tens of thousands. I think the highest estimate I saw was like 250,000, but we're going to know more about victims and the, the entire scope of it. Um, kind of like we did with solar winds as the weeks and days go by, because there's just a lot to unpack. But we do know that some of the victims are retailers, local municipalities, government ent- entities, and a few other sectors. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting already. We're starting to see some, results come out as to who naming victims and i mean this just upwards of you know as you mentioned we've seen numbers as high as above two hundred thousand or so um yeah definitely a big concern and i guess ivan who are some of the name victims that we've seen so far and then just to kind of caveat that a little bit more what are what apt threat actors have been seen using these vulnerabilities yes so he said they released a report and they stated that 10 threat actors were identified uh, actively attacking these vulnerabilities. And uh, these included uh, Tick, which is also known as Bronze but- Butler, uh, Lucky Mouse, which we also know as APT27, uh, Calypso, Webisic, Winnet Group, which we also know as APT41, uh, Cactus Pete, which we also know as Tonto Team, uh, Shadow Pat, Microsim, DLT miner, and uh, also the Opera Cobalt Strike and the ISS backdoors were, were observed in these attacks. And it could have, could have been more than 10 threat groups, but these are the ones that we know for sure at the moment. Yeah, no, I think it's safe to say that there's 
plenty of more threat groups that are probably uh, leveraging these vulnerabilities, especially, and we'll kind of talk to this more in a second about um, the POC that's kind of floating around um, and what could be some of the potential implications out of that. But I guess, Charles, just to get us a little bit more of a good understanding of the technical aspects of what happened, can you kind of talk us through that? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, there was a total of like four zero-day exploits that were used, uh, and it's mostly targeting those uh, on-premises exchange servers. Um, and so basically the attackers, what they were doing was uh, they found that you could send specially, uh, specially crafted post requests to these vulnerable servers. Uh, they were using that to write web shells. Uh, and then once they were on network, uh, you know, with, the, with that web shell kind of as a, a method to get on there, uh, they'd start doing stuff like they were um, like dumping LSAS so they could get like uh, NTLM hashes, stuff like that, pass the hash and move laterally through networks and continue to spread. Um, but they were using a variety of techniques to kind of maintain that persistence by adding accounts, uh, things like that. So um, it's pretty standard behavior once they were on network, uh, but they just happened to use these four new zero days to get on there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's just kind of interesting to see, and I guess I wanted to kind of open it up for discussion here. Like, is this more significant than solar winds? Like are, are we, I mean, it just kind of seems like in some ways we thought solar winds was this like big deal in many ways it was a big deal, but now we're seeing this reporting of um, what is likely going to be something that's going to be talked about for quite some time. Does this overshadow solar winds? I mean, I think I think in like the short term future it does, just because it's the big story. But when I think of when I think of comparing it to solar winds, I think the one big uh, difference that I think you can make a comparison with is just how much longer the Russian threat actor was, you know, persist persistent on the solar winds um, servers compared to this one. You know, that just started in January. I mean, the, the scale of the attack is massive in both cases. Um, but I got personally a little more concerned that activity can go unnoticed for so much longer with solar winds. Um, but the implications of this attack are just starting to unfold. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I definitely think there's going to be more coming out, especially in the short term future with the amount of attention that this is garnering from the entire landscape, the entire kind of cybersecurity realm right now. So I, I, yeah, I think we'll definitely be able to kind of make that conclusion as things go on. But it just kind of reiterates what we've all been saying is how like impactful these kind of supply chain or these kind of third party attacks can be, especially in your tech stack, how detrimental. Um, and so now that we're kind of like seeing these, this, you know, POC kind of floating around, maybe we can kind of talk through what could be some of the potential implications about that. I don't know, Ivan, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah. Uh, we could definitely see ransomware groups uh, exploiting these vulnerabilities because ransomware groups, they're known to exploit vulnerabilities after they have been disclosed. And a really good example is how the Ryuk ransomware group, they targeted the zero logon vulnerability for months after it was released and patched. Uh, so there are a lot of companies who may de delay patches or maybe they fail to patch their systems correctly. And the threat groups are going to be trying to exploit that and uh, especially those in the ransomware threat landscape. So that's definitely a possibility. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, even if they kind of right now take advantage of the news story and gain an initial foothold, they can just lay dormant and, you, you know, just sit there until they're ready to, to kind of go ahead and then 
execute the payload or execute the ransomware attack. So, I mean, it's just kind of scary to think that potentially this could have lasting implications as like you mentioned what we saw with Ryuk and how they use zero log on to basically move from an attack that might take days to, I think it was five hours or so from the point of an initial uh, malicious email to the point of full domain wide encryption on their targets. So yeah, it'll be interesting as you know, we've kind of always, all, all of us have said that more of this just needs to come out more research and stuff will be coming out here shortly. And I guess like, I just kind of wanted to talk about how like the potential that there is a shift in this targeting. So like last year, the focus was obviously on COVID-19 and like we did see some reporting of nation state uh, resources targeting uh, vaccines or like think tanks kind of looking at how the different countries were approaching their, their response to COVID-19. And now that we're kind of seeing this, uh, or at least reporting is coming out that at least, you know, from an adversarial perspective or adversarial reporting that's coming out saying that um, they have a good kind of control on COVID-19, the COVID spread is kind of declining. I kind of wonder if there is this shift in targeting now, are they kind of returning back to business as usual? You know, last year it was all about ransomware. We saw ransomware kind of rampant, not that ransomware is not rampant still, but I think it's interesting to think about like, okay, so now because of the shift in kind of the threat of COVID-19, like, are we going to see some more nation state activity as the, as the year goes on? Any of you guys' thoughts there? I mean, I think just the, the trend we're seeing, yeah, we're, there's definitely so much room for potential for other APT groups to, um, you know, just when we think COVID's over and life goes back to normal, it's, I feel like the attacks happen when you least expect them. So that could be something to look out for. Yeah. And I also wonder too, like could have last year been maybe they were using the time as an uplift of their resources or their capabilities. Maybe they were developing nation state adversaries or kind of developing their capabilities in that space. And now they're kind of really rolling it out and we're kind of seeing the effects of that. And I mean, the counter argument too, maybe there was a lot of targeting uh, and we just didn't know about it last year. It was just not as kind of like understood or, or not seen as much because all the reporting was focused elsewhere. But it'll be interesting to see as the year kind of goes on, if we kind of keep with this trend. I know just, like I said, I really don't think we've really understood solar winds completely. And now we're going to have to see and sift through the, rep- the repercussions of this. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how how the year kind of progresses and as more kind of comes out about this. But moving forward a little bit onto a, a new topic, but kind of that similar thing, kind of the supply chain attack where you gain access to one organization and it gives you access to multiple, multiple victims. So this attack that happened in January involving Excelion, uh, it's still relevant and we're still seeing, I think there was about three or so victims being extorted this week by the Klopp ransomware team. Ivan, can you just kind of rec- recap us on the Excelion incident? Who is Excelion? Uh, wh- who are the actors involved there? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Excelion, they are an IT company in the United States and they have a product offering called FTA, which is a fi- file transfer application that is used to share files. And uh, several vulnerabilities were identified in this FTA product recently. And the threat actors, they exploited these vulnerabilities 
to infiltrate companies and install web shell. And uh, this web shell, it allowed them to exfiltrate data from companies. And uh, then these companies later got emails asking for a ransom uh, for data that was hosted on the club ransomware data leakage website. So that means that the, the attack was likely conducted by FIN11 because FIN11 is known to deploy the club ransomware. So, and yeah, like you said, companies continue to be exposed on the website uh, to this day. So we're yeah. likely going to see a lot more victims as the time goes on. Right. No, I, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's like now two months since the attack or so it occurred and we're still seeing these extortion attempts kind of come through and it's almost like Klopp is like, okay, we got paid from this uh, extortion attempt. So let's go ahead and move on to the next. It's like almost they have like a list and they're just going on to the next organization and just really trying to get as much money as they possibly can. And I, I mean, what tactics are we seeing Austin? They're, they recently named Flagstar Bank and what did we see out of that? Yeah, so they started posting the social security numbers and home addresses of Flagstar employees on the leak site. And this is just one of a classic extortion attempt, really a double extortion attempt um, from a ransomware group. But especially Klopp, like you were saying, they, they seem really money hungry. Um, and they have their way of double extorting victims is kind of unique because they'll post data. Like, for example, uh, they went after a South Korean retailer a few months ago and they just posted a bunch of credit card dumps, credit card data on the Internet, um, which I haven't seen a lot of ransomware groups usually going after like data they've extricated from the actual um, server that they've targeted. But this was like a separate attack. So they use that in conjunction with the ransomware attack to just put pressure on them. So yeah, double extortion is here to stay for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, they obviously threat actors know what information is going to get attention from the decision makers of their victims. And so obviously this is really concerning if you're a Flagstar employee and you're going to be voicing concerns when you start hearing that potentially your social security number is being posted online for free. I mean, it's just like doesn't stop. There's really just like no bounds. And we saw reporting this week as well from uh, the R evil team announcing that they're going to be using, you know, we've heard this before that they're going to be using DDoS attacks there. Additionally, they mentioned they're going to be calling journalists and calling their victims, business partners to go ahead and like force his ransom payments. And I mean, it just seems like you really like when you're kind of the victim of a ransomware incident like this, you just have no choice, but to pay with the threat of reputational damage that these ransomware um, affiliates are using and these ransomware variants are using to really just drive this ransom payment. And I, I mean, like it just seems like there's really just like nothing off limits at this point. They're really willing to do just about anything to get you to pay. I mean, it's just, I think it just goes back to say that you just need to be prepared for the situation so that way you're not kind of, responding to it as it's happening but being proactive i don't, I don't know charles if you have more from kind of like the, the, the defender's perspective in that area yeah yeah i i absolutely think like the security team should be um trying to figure out this stuff well in advance i know rick has talked about it before when he's been on the podcast but this is something that you should sit down and do tabletop exercises on on a semi-regular basis that way you know you know who who do you need to contact in legal? Who do you need to contact in HR? Is there like compliance people? Cause there might be some kind of like other violation somewhere, you know, like what, 
you don't want to be having to try and figure that out on the fly. It, it's nice to have it all documented so you can just follow a flow chart and know this is exactly what you've got to do. Who do you need to call? Like your, your insurance company, whatever, you know, who's, who's your contact that potentially the FBI, something like that. Like, like having all this game planned out in advance is, is definitely preferable. And I think organizations should try and do that as often yeah. as possible. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, now that there's just so many layers to these ransomware attacks, it's not just, you know, in the past where it was just a ransomware and you just dealt with that with the encryption of your systems now you have to deal with so many different areas and so being proactive and being prepared and having a strong understanding of the tactics they're going to use against your organizations to kind of get that payment um, you know and whether you make the decision to pay or not that should be something that you know you definitely think about and hopefully have done some research or done some thought into before you get to that point. And not to say that everyone's going to be a victim of ransomware. Obviously the, the goal is to get left of the incident or get left of boom. I like to say, uh, avoid being a ransomware victim altogether, but, but yeah, no, just to kind of wrap that up, it just goes back to the, the thought that being prepared is, is way better than being reactionary especially in the ransomware landscape now that uh, we're seeing these new topic, these new tactics coming out. But moving forward, I wanted to kind of touch briefly on something that kind of sends shivers down my spine. I wanted to speak about this attack on Vercado. So Vercado is a U.S.-based manufacturer. They create indoor and outdoor high-definition security ca cameras. Austin, what happened here? This is pretty interesting, kind of scary stuff. What did, what did we see? Yeah, so like you said, they sell Verkata sells cameras and software. The customers, they, you know, they can watch live video from their computer, their phone, and their systems were breached by a hacktivist collective. And so estimates are that this hacktivist collective gained access to more than 150,000 cameras, and pretty much every imaginable location. Um, and so this group, they used high-privilege login credentials for Verkata's super admin accounts. Um, they, so they publicized their findings and they said they were motivated by lots of curiosity, fighting for freedom of information and against intellectual property and a huge dose of anti-capitalism. So I thought their, uh, their angle was, you know, sounds like a hacktivist, pretty interesting take on why they did it. Um, but another interesting point to this, uh, what happened here is that the employees, some of the anonymous employees are saying that they have access to these cameras as well and with the same kind of privileges. Um, so it's really pretty, pretty damaging um, violation of privacy and security for uh, these customers that have this, you know, own these cameras. Yeah, I mean, just to kind of speak through some of the customers and some of the video feeds that were posted, I mean, they include like schools, offices, gyms, banks, health clinics, uh, county jails. I think Tesla was one of the named um, customers of the of Vercado. So, I mean, obviously, from my perspective, I mean, if anybody is able to go and it was just a, a, a super admin password that they were able to kind of come across. But I mean, there's intellectual property theft potential out of this. There's potential, you know, obviously more malicious things could come about as well. But it's just scary to think that this this kind of like super admin access was out there and I don't know, Charles, we've seen that in the past where those super admin accounts can be a potentially bad idea, but what do you think defenders can maybe take away from this one? 
I mean, it's just kind of goes back to the basics really. I mean, don't leave like do your best to secure admin credentials, uh, try and restrict access to who has those things, uh, try and use, you know, strong, unique passwords so they can't be guessed. Uh, it just kind of just goes back to just general password management, you know, uh, that's, that's really the big thing. And try, try not to just have these super admin accounts that can just do everything and not have them very well protected. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, we've seen that before with that Twitter incident where uh, a lot of high profile accounts started publishing some tweets that were obviously fraudulent. Uh, they weren't made by the original Twitter authors. And so uh, it came out that there was a tool used by employees or kind of like the super user tool um, so obviously concerns there, especially if you're going to have a tool like that, probably be a good idea not to have a password posted anywhere that would give anyone access to that tool or potential yeah. hacktivist collective. And I mean, who knows, maybe somebody, you know, maybe a threat actor had gained access to this, these, this fly feed and didn't report it the way that uh, this hacktivist collective did. I don't know. Can you guys think of any other ways this could have been used maliciously? I mean, yeah, you know, there's you know espionage spy angle to it. You just don't know who all has access to it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of just scary to think that to put our kind of criminal hat on. I mean, like banks, it had access, and like the the yeah. feeds were pretty clear too. Like it looked I like. It, I feel like it could definitely be used for blackmail. I mean, if you come across something that is blackmail worthy, yeah, um, is a huge risk. For sure. No, I mean. Yeah. It just goes back to you just have to kind of look at everything, look at all your third-party suppliers, look at everything, all the different things that you use. And I mean, even down to the cameras that you might have as for security, things that are built to protect you um, are could be used against you, which we've kind of seen repeatedly in the space. Cool. All right. Well, that is that kind of wraps up the content for the week. I will imagine that our podcasts going forward are probably going to mention a few of these topics again. So <laughs> definitely keep an ear out for, for those to come along. Uh, a few plugs where we put out uh, a few blogs this week that I'd like to kind of reference. So one of those, we actually mapped the minor attack framework to the DPRK financial crime indictment. Uh, we did a, I can't believe it's been a full year since COVID-19 really kind of came about, especially in the States. So a year in review, just kind of looking at what COVID-19 and the concerns for, for cybersecurity. So that blog's uh, pretty good on our website. And then finally, uh, additionally, another minor attack mapping to the Microsoft Exchange zero day, zero day exploits, which we talked through today. Cool. But other than that, I appreciate Charles, Ivan, and Austin for joining me today. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for giving us a listen. If you want to reach out, feel free to reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at AlecA6. Happy to go ahead and discuss threat intelligence uh, and the like. But if that's all we have, go ahead and wrap up for the week. Hope everyone has a safe week. And we will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye, all.